And we're just talking over the intro. That was the intro. I guess it was the intro. It's like Halloween and everything. And so pleased to meet you. Uh, hope you guess my name. You know, it's Rob. But uh, we have our own great pumpkin, Greg. Hi. It's all. <laughs> This is an MJ to talk about their uh, new upcoming <laughs> magnum opus, and it's perfect for Halloween. Places, <laughs> places. <everybody. laughs> Hello. So, what is coming up? <laughs> uh, hi. He actually so, was going to be in the <laughs> peanut gallery, so Mario's being brave, being on. I've been recruited to do this uh, at the last moment. To um, I was we originally thinking uh, having another actor in the in the show on would provide a, a uh, an interesting perspective, but. Um, instead we get the boring perspective. Instead we get the boring perspective <laughs> of the co-director of the production. Um, so, uh, well, we are DVC, Dream, Visualize, Create. We are very happy to be back here once again. Uh, Glad to have you. On this <laughs> podcast, we are always happy to be invited to do this. Um, this Our fall production is uh, called All the Devils. Uh, it is um, a play written by S.G. Rathaft, and uh, it is an original work or world premiere uh, of this particular production. The Devil, um, you say. The Devil, yeah. <laughs> and uh, and it, as was mentioned, it is running two weekends in November, November 10th through the 12th, and then the 16th through the 18th um, at Muck, uh, where we perform all of our shows. Um, on 142 Atlantic Avenue. Beautiful parking, too. You can mm. find places to park there for every show. Yeah. That's really yeah. well. As long as, uh, I mean, if you get there like three minutes before the show, you might have a problem uh, <laughs> running around the corner. But, yes, they have, uh, uh, um, that location has served us very well for uh, a very long time right now. We've been there for oh, 11 years, I think. So, uh, we've been doing productions there for quite a while. And uh, MJ's association with Muck goes all the way back to the first production that ever opened there, so um, we've definitely been connected to them for some time. Um, did you have to do a lot of modifications in the building, or did it have a lot of theater-ready kind of structure? Uh, so Muck has been slowly uh, um, transforming and developing itself over time. I guess not itself. It's really the people there. <laughs> <laughs> it's really... <laughs> would be weird if it did it it's itself, It's really though. Kevin and it's really Kevin Indivino and Doug Rice and Karen Kraft and people who are associated with the with the, the building that have put a lot of effort into it. Um, uh, Kevin, in particular, has uh, transformed the theater over time. Right. So in the beginning, it was basically just uh, a shell, more or less, right. where you could do theater with a you know rudimentary light board and all of that stuff. But it's really developed into a pretty amazing and exciting cool. performance space. 
um, over that time. Uh, as far as what we do specifically for shows, we do bring a set into the building uh, based on whatever our production requires, right. um, which uh, you know primarily consists of lots of pieces of heavy wood, uh, um, right. platforms to create you know elevation and and uh, and flats for walls sometimes and all the things that you need to bring in you know furniture pieces everything requires the set is. You bring it in, uh, and then you drag it out right after your last show or the next morning. Um, but the space itself is, uh, is open and, uh, it's, uh, you know, every production that comes in brings all of their stuff specifically in. Right. And now it has a, you know, a sound and lighting capabilities far better than it had before. And so it's a great opportunity to see some amazing things there. Kevin holds up. Thing like for me, it's the only thing I've ever seen. I think it was Kevin. I'm pretty sure he did a play about the man in the moon. I think it might have been him. It was some, but if it wasn't, I apologize. He does theater, yeah, yeah. 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 But it was in Writers and Books. It was the only play ever that I became distracted because it was good, but I kept being fascinated. I was by the wall. There was a spider that kept coming oh. down behind me and going up. Oh. <laughs> I started fixing that. <laughs> I must have enjoyed the play. Totally relatable. <laughs> but it was. <laughs> but I, I was there pretty much from the beginning. So I yes, know how... Yes, you were. Yes. You know, little Sylvia here. Yeah, that's right. That's right. You've been dressed like that since the beginning. <laughs> but this change, it used to be when you, Greg, when you went in, they used to have it, it was against the far wall. Yeah. That's how it started. Oh. Mm-hmm. And then it became sort of in the middle, like mm-hmm. the closer. The closer, <laughs> yeah. And now it's, we have new seats, everything is nice and comfy. Yep. And the place stays Those seats are from uh, the little theater. Oh. When the little replaced their seats, they were, uh, um, getting thrown out, and uh, I was part of that crew that got called up. I, I think it was probably Kevin. They sent out a thing saying, "Hey, anybody that can help, we're going to pick up these seats that the little is throwing out because they got new seats." And then we got there, and what they were all funny. they were all still connected by rows, so we kind of had to pick them up and <laughs> bring them in. Uh, and then he bolted them in like uh, you know, one by one, and so now it's yeah. Though I have oh, to get awesome. this is like yeah. this is like the running joke or never tell me the odds. I get you have to get in the running joke. Though the seating is really good when somebody picks on you who knows you doing something. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already thinking about the next show, Rob, and how I'm going to mess with you. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the back row is uh, only about uh, 15 feet from the front row, so it works yeah. out pretty... Yeah. It, it's You've got to sit strategically yeah. to well, not... How can somebody, <laughs> when they know me... Intimate experience. How can somebody, when they know me, actually go for Heather's hair saying it's better than mine? <laughs> Remember? Yes. Give her the note. You have great hair in <laughs> oh, right. That was one of the messages. Yeah, it was one of the messages. Yeah. yeah. But so, how did this come about, and what's it about a little? Sounds awesome. Thanks. They all do, but, you know, I like the creepy, horrible, you know, Darker. end of the world. Miserable. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, as it turns out, this is a, a, a deliberate attempt to look at some... Uh, uh, horrific themes in a very comedic way. So there's a, uh, a substantial amount of, of, uh, of uh, comic banter and, uh, and situations in this play. And uh, fortuitously, uh, we have um, actors like MJ and Alexis and Kiyomi Oliver, who are playing the three uh, uh, main roles in the play, um, handle a lot of that. The dynamic between all of them is very exciting. We can talk about that. I think um, uh, a little bit, but the uh, idea is it's uh, set in 1923, 100 years ago, and 
So the idea was to incorporate that style and uh, the elements of that time period um, in a very sort of uh, Lovecraftian, Call of Cthulhu kind of way. Um, but uh, to make sure that clearly there is a, a strong parallel. Some people have asked me, is the show scary? I don't know if I want to come to a scary show. And I'm like, it's only scary if... Um, you think too much about the parallel between the circumstances of 1923 and 2023, then, yeah, I would be horrified. But, uh, you know, there's not going to be, like, uh, uh, you know, there's certainly, hopefully, elements of uh, suspense and cosmic horror references and a few special effects thrown in. But uh, for the most part, uh, the idea is to um, explore uh, social issues which is what we do through all of our shows through this particular lens this time. And you'll find throughout the ages it's the same stuff, too. Mm. Yeah. There's, like, humanity out. not very humane. And it doesn't That's prove. one of our yeah. big themes, Rob. Yeah, I, stole, I stole that from Tom Waits. <laughs> Whatever. But I'm all, sometimes I just get a little bit, like, snarky about history because I'm such a, like, reading about it. And I would always make people, and they know I'm doing it in fun, where they go to Renaissance fairs. Like, oh yeah, those medieval times. You'd have loved them. Yeah. <laughs> Especially my friend. <laughs> you want to hear? Number one, you'd be dead. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You like lice. Yeah. <laughs> the arbitrary rules. I think there's one Elizabeth had where like they would get over a hat or they nail it to your head or. I just like plumbing. <laughs> Having yeah. plumbing, plumbing is pretty fun. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, I can't the great stink of one stuff thrown on you yeah. as you're walking down yeah. the street. Yeah, we, <laughs> we certainly tend to romanticize times that have gone and by. Yes, it's fun. <laughs> have fun. I just could be in a curmudgeon. What do you want? Yeah. Sometimes. I mean, but I think you, this. You ever been to a castle? They're cold. Yes, I've been. <laughs> and that's why you would see, like, actually, Camelot wearing the. The heavy fur coats, mm. the bloody peasants. <laughs> like when they filmed Holy Grail, they said it was freezing too. Yeah, I'll bet. I believe that. But yeah. there's actually a question here, getting a little pedantic on this, but I think there's really a lot to be said about that very, very fine line between comedy and tragedy. Mm. It's like the whistling through a graveyard idea. You know, they've always said comedy is just tragedy plus time. Mr. Lincoln, duck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, the, there's definitely that idea of uh, creating a, a kind of balance um, and presenting things in a way that make people uh, engage them from the perspective that you you know that you want to. But certainly for some people, uh, I think it's because people deal with things differently. First of all, the reactions are different. Um, you know, everyone doesn't laugh hysterically at something they find funny, and they also don't break into tears at something they find tragic, necessarily. We have human responses that are, are varied. And so, um, you know, there's two things going on here, at least two. <laughs> there, so yeah. that stuff works on you after you leave the show. Right. It's <laughs> like you start thinking about, well, well, you know, and then you go from there, I guess. You hope, yes. You, that would be the hope, is that people would carry this with yeah. them for a while in some way. And so, yeah, you have what you're trying to accomplish... Uh, in the production, amidst the cast and crew and everyone working on it, and then you've got the audience reaction, which is something you... Uh, who knows what that is going to be. Every audience, we found, uh, is uh, very different mm. from night to night. Yeah, so. Every audience sure. finds something different, completely hilarious, or oh, they yeah. gasp at something weird, and you're like, okay. Yeah. Well, right. I'll be like, ha, ha, ha. <laughs> 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 oh, what? as long as you don't kill an animal, just do more. <laughs> what was that one movie? I, I think it was Goldie Hawn and, and Meryl Streep. Was it? Death Becomes Her. Yeah, that was a that was a great movie as far as the... the 
the mix of comedy and weirdness and right and black and black humor. I, I yeah. love stuff like that. It certainly had a, a bizarre element to yeah. it, which um, you know when you're thinking when you're dealing with, I guess. These kinds of stories, this idea of the unknown is probably one of the most interesting things too, right? Yeah. That's that's scary to us, um, right? Like that's one of life's great horror elements, right? <laughs> the future? Trying right, the future. <laughs> yes. Where are we? Where are we I going? Talk, what are we doing? And I'm open minded, especially all the stuff that happened. I've been to the afterlife. I'm <laughs> nothing to report back, but I like. I will not. Just laugh at it. Like a friend of mine and I had a very good conversation about it, and I was just say, "How do we know? You know, yeah, more know. things that happen in Earth." That's exactly it. Yeah. And we don't know. I mean, and I'm a very big science person, but we can't know. The less, you, the more you know, you don't know. And mm-hmm. we're all going to find out. <laughs> so not in a hurry at the moment. But well, well, sometimes I wonder that if a lot of this stuff wasn't created just to console people. Mm. You know, I mean, I'm not trying to like get rid of religion or anything. But I'm just saying, who knows? I mean, they could have said, "Don't worry, there's a, you'll be fine. Your soul's gonna go to," you know. Yeah. And and you know, it might have been just to assuage people's fears. I don't know. You know, I you think never know. humans deal with most emotions through stories, whether they yeah. be from a religious bent through theater or books or whatever. Anything we do is just trying to understand what's happening to us at any given moment. Gilgamesh, yep, Gilgamesh, that was the first thing. They were wondering about death and about life and everything. And the point you made too, Mario, and unfortunately as we've gotten older, I see more things happen to friends. Mm. This is the year anniversary we lost our dear friend Alicia on Friday. And the one thing I found when you hear something happens or it happens to you is that you can't, everybody does handle it differently. That's all you can do. It's like the, the whole thing. Nobody, you have to take your own time, and that's how it goes. And that's what I've become more of where I'm not standoffish about it, but I know I can't. What are you going to say? I've said all I could say. You know you have to handle it the way you handle it. Mm. You know, nobody knows what mm. you're going through. Mm. Right. You know, so. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. Upbeat on Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> you know, you were talking about set pieces and, and all that. And so... Have you ever watched the old live TV stuff, like from the 50s, and like Tales of Tomorrow? Have you ever seen that series? I have, I have not. You should check it out sometime. It's on the streaming things on Tubi and a couple. Of, anyway, mm-hmm. they're all like, they're half hours, and they're like one step beyond in Tales of Tomorrow. There were two different, they're anthology things. And one way, you know, they'd, they'd adapt some stories and some were uh, original but they were just all boom live simple sets wow you know cardboard doors <laughs> you know <laughs> but i mean you know cheap tv but but if you watch them they're very like just all the dialogue i mean there's no cutting there's no i mean they would they would dissolve and go to a different scene but i mean the one scene was long mm-hmm. you know cuz it was just usually just everything was memorized, and I, it was very interesting. I, There's more I find those elements to that. Yeah, and I find yeah. them, and they had to do a lot of tricks with just lights, and you know, like there was this one story. It was really cool where the kid had this book, and it was like in this weird cryptic language, and he, he was supposed to be chosen or something. So the, he goes, "Oh, I got it from this library." Well, there is no children's section in this library, sir, or, or something, or and so he he looks at this wall and all of a sudden they change the lighting and then you see something a desk through the wall with some, like with, with somebody oh, wow. at it and it's just like 
Wow. And, you know, they had to come up with with unique ways to, like, make a wall that was, like, translucent, I guess, or something. Probably a square. But I, I think stuff like that is really cool, you know, uh, practical. And I love, yeah. like, between years yeah. that I see yeah. people scurrying and changing. Right, yeah. but right. But let's go into a little bit about what this is. Don't give away, obviously, people. You want to beat them. They want more. But what's basically the... What are you playing? What are you... Both of you? And what's sort of the story? And... Whoever wants to take it, you're all pointing around. <laughs> no, I, you, you, you. Hey, Greg, Greg, explain <laughs> this story. Explain this story. Yeah, yeah. Tell us what's happening. Well, <laughs> it's like this. It's about some people. <laughs> they, they do some things. It's yeah. in there. They do some it's about some people talking. Yeah. Uh, but uh, 100 years ago. <laughs> yes, no one does more talking than you. No, I, I, my character does talk quite a bit. Uh, I'm playing the character of Hob, who is an academic, um, who has a lot of... There's a, a lot going on with Hob, but he, you know, primarily comes across as academic. We learn a little bit about Hob's past and about Hob's inner uh, life. His last name isn't gambling, is it? No, <laughs> it is not. Goblin. <laughs> and Hob is, I guess, sort of the, in a way, the academic driving force of this trio of people. And Hob is, um, I, I think, in a way, obsessive about certain things. And so becomes really ingrained in this and really uh, entrenched in what is happening in the story. And Hobb is a a, a, st- a scholar of, you know, eldritch lore and unexplainable phenomena, phenomena as he says himself. So Hobb has some of this knowledge of what is happening when some of these other characters are still sort of living in this world where... There are no eldritch beings and this must there must be some logical explanation. So... Hub kind of takes it from that perspective of these things could happen, this could be happening, this could be an eldritch being, when everybody else is saying, yeah, Hub, you're sort of crazy. <laughs> <laughs> Are you, like, moderating the different scenes, like, avoid, you know, like... I'm, not, not, I'm actually a character in it's it. It's a character, yeah. so it's not mm-hmm. like you're not telling it, okay. Right. Yeah, yeah there's no, uh, not uh, narration, but right. Hub is kind of uh, this piece that, uh, this group of people that gets brought together, mm. the group of investigators, if you will, by the end, <laughs> uh, is sort of uh, spearheaded by, uh, as MJ was saying, Hobbes' uh, realization or, or or belief that something's going on that's here that's cool. more than meets the eye. Right. Uh, I play Zelda, who is the classic 20s wild, wild woman, <laughs> sort of... <laughs> Out there making everyone uncomfortable, but having a blast doing it, which is absolutely my kind of thing, uh, if you know me. Um, but I kind of getting drawn into the mystery of it all. Coming home from a trip, going, "All right, we're solving a missing persons case. Let's do it." <laughs> so I don't know. It's it's fun to do because I don't normally play somebody who doesn't. Make people cry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, are, are, come you, on. are you like a aristocratic type or flapper girl? Or uh, sort of on the the verge of flapper, but <laughs> like a little older and classier. Okay. I'd say. <laughs> <laughs> and our our third in this trio, our third character is Jed, played by Kiyomi Oliver, who is more of that coming from that upper class society, okay. who is really, I think, the one that the audience will relate to the most. That sounds like a cool mix. Yeah, Jed is the one that uh, 
uh, is brings the the case to Hob mm-hmm. um, because he's familiar with the the woman who's missing, and so that sort of um, puts things into motion. And then through the course of the show, we have a uh, one of the fun things about this show is that we have a lot of other. Uh, characters that come in. Some characters come in to just for one scene. Others come in and then reappear later in the show. Um, but ultimately, you get to do some interesting, quirky things with those characters too. Because then we have a newspaper reporter who gets pulled into played by Adriana Allen, who gets pulled into things because of her, of her association with Zelda. And uh, then we have uh, Arthur Royce, who is this kind of mad scientist sort of fellow, uh, played I, by Austin Scott. Yeah, he's uh, that, the he, from Ants to Gods. He's so funny. Oh right, Austin Scott's from that that uh, Roger Improv troupe Ants to Gods. He's been long time DVC. I worked with him when he was in high school. And uh, so there is a um, uh, an interesting collection of people that get pulled together. So there's there's that element too, is that them sort of creating this kind of. Uh, uh, collection, or I guess the beginnings of some sort of uh, family as they go and kind of uh, combat this Scooby Gang. This is the Scooby Gang. <laughs> That's exactly yeah. correct. A Scooby Gang is formed. I always wondered though, is that just yeah. a delusion of like Shaggy being high? <laughs> oh, the dog's talking. <laughs> I mean, it's possible. And I actually really is like the idea. Canonically, some sort of eldritch being. Yeah. <laughs> I think he is. Yeah. Probably. I always like the idea of the slow burn, too, where things seem normal, nobody believes it, yeah. then one person talks to somebody you might believe, and you start unearthing, and you just go with the Sherlock Holmes thing, no matter how improbable this is it, and it starts then, but usually at the end, like in a Lovecraftian thing, the person goes crazy, gets eaten by something, or jumps out the window, or... <laughs> right. So, so it's like real life. When yeah. they come to, like, the conclusion of whatever it is, the realization is actually something they wish they had never known. It's like uh, that line from the Sting song, I think I've lost my face in politicians, they're all game show hosts to me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, kind of seeing behind the curtain is a, yeah. a thing. We have one historical figure in the play, mm. uh, Mayor John Highland, uh, who was uh, mayor of New York during the time that the show took place. Patrick White is playing him. And uh, that was just a matter of uh, just, you know, the play sort of has everyone in the play as a fictional character except for this uh, this political figure, which sort of adds a little bit of historical context. And the Highland's first scene has uh, is taken from his act, an actual speech that he gave. Which interestingly talks about corporations being this giant octopus monster that's going to destroy <laughs> the world. Yeah, there's a book called The Octopus about corporations. Oh no! Yeah. Yeah. I wonder if that came from this. <laughs> I mean, I can't remember the time period it was written in, but it might have been around because I mean that's when you had like Upton Sinclair, The Jungle, showing the workers. And yes. People were realizing conditions kind of sucked by these that they yes. weren't, but. Actually, Patrick, I gave him, like, the best compliment on the last play. So you really play a sleaze well. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It turns out Highland's an okay guy, uh, but he is... Um, a politician. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and he has an agenda. And while that agenda might align with what a lot of our other characters would like to see in the world, um, the the uh, reality of how that's going to come about, or if it could ever come about, through these, you know, political... Uh, the political process is part of the question. As always, there's always the, we need something to save the world, and there's always the authority figure going, you know, fill out these forms, and I'll get back to you in <laughs> You've seen five the business days. Lulu for president, <laughs> no lies matter. Yep, and I yep. think, too, like these days, I think, like, if you, whatever you think about Neil Postman or Noam Chomsky, like, especially amusing or something else, manufacturing consent, I think we've gotten to the point where everything's reduced to a sound bite, mm. so we can't have... 
discussion on anything. Right. Yeah. Well, because that's because whoever is setting up these things wants you to only hear it in a certain perspective. They don't give you the whole thing. They give you the one thing that's the most shocking or the most, you know, one-sided. Yeah. Which and I've actually, I always thought that's fairly tolerant, but I've actually, like, broken <laughs> off with some friends because I can't take, like, what they're saying. And when you try to just explain, and they just, no, no. <laughs> There's also so much information yeah, that overloading was everywhere. Huxley. It's hard to go yeah. into more depth than what they're just throwing at you. Sure, sure. Yeah, you'd go insane. Yeah. No, before there's like no, no, but there's so much and there's so much hot air. You turn on Google. Yeah. I want to hear about the latest sports star, the latest. Uh, and I know I do have a thing with Taylor Swift because we're born the same day. I've done selfies, signed autographs because they think I'm her. <laughs> so, I have what? I have mistaken you a couple yeah. times. I know actually. it's so same day and same year, right, Swift? Rob? Same day and same year. <laughs> I'm a little younger. <laughs> you can come back anytime you want. <laughs> but how much? It's, uh, like when you adapt something like this with somebody, how much do you try to bring in? Did you change anything? You have, when you change the the medium, you have to change it a little, but you try to really stay true. Do you sort of flick, hey, I could do this a little better. <laughs> Plus, you go, I'm playing this character. Let's give her a less line. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, the the good news, I guess, in regards to that, is that we have freedoms to do some things with the script. Like with most DVC things, we have uh, they have been creations of people that uh, we have known, or we've written them ourselves, or we've uh, Obviously, taking some adaptations such as like Shakespeare, for example, where you can really do whatever you want with the piece. Way to twist there. I tried asking him; he doesn't get back to me. <laughs> Way to twist there too on the end of uh, the thing that I'm not going to pronounce right about the Romeo and Juliet. So I refuse. Rock <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ruslana and Elena. Wow. At this point, I was I, in it. I have to know. <laughs> you were Ruslana. At this yeah, point, on the yeah. show, and I don't remember anybody's name or anything. <laughs> yeah, at this point, I think it's okay to uh, reveal, since probably no one's ever seen it. Yeah, that's that okay, again. because... As it turns out, yes, we decided that uh, the Romeo and Juliet characters were going to live at the end of the play. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, that's that's the kind of thing. There's an idea, at least in my mind, of what uh, we like to do, which is take established works and show respect for that work and the style and the author, but also subvert it into the kind of thing that we want to modernize it. We want to uh, make sure that our theme and concept are solidly uh, shown through the production. So um, when you obviously have a piece that is new or has been written, you can work with a writer. You can do that in a very, you know, okay. through the process, you can create that. Um, and then, obviously, you have to be careful with some things, uh, modern copywritten play pieces. You're not going to take, you know, some some of the most uh, um, well-known productions and completely turn them on their heads. As far as altering the script, you can certainly do it through the way that you present the play. But traditional um, plays, Greek tragedies and Shakespeare and all of those pieces, just, uh, you know, they exist for the purposes of taking them and continuing to keep them as living documents by changing them and making them fit according to the period, the time period. I mean, that's how that stuff stayed around that long. Right? Abe Lincoln, Vampire Hunter. 
one of the classics. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, don't eat at the House of Artemis ribs. Atreus, Atreus. I'm going to use my Greek stuff. That's awesome. <laughs> but one thing like about Lovecraft, he's a huge... I think the whole idea... He takes a lot from Arabian mythology. Right. But the basic idea is, is we're worthless... That the cosmos is basically a big joke with this idiot god sleeping, and that if he ever burps or something, we're all gone anyways, and right. they don't really care. And he's very, personally, obviously, he's very problematic, and I always yes. say, mm-hmm. but I always say, my whole thing is, we're all, you know, some, I do get to a point with somewhere, I can't, because, but it's everybody's personal choice, and you can separate a little bit the literature from the person. And you realize, you also, but be honest about the person, too. Don't you say, well, he's a sane, nice guy. <laughs> yeah, that that comes in with our whole idea of taking, you know, this style and examining it through the lens of the 21st century, right? So Lovecraft certainly had some uh, ideas that were even less enlightened than other people of his uh, era. Yes. But also, a hundred years ago, enlightenment <laughs> in regards to different people uh, uh, looking at anyone that didn't fall into, you know, this idea of the other uh, it was uh, very different. And so our perceptions of people based on social class and gender identification and race and uh, all of these things uh, uh, hopefully has continued to evolve. Once in a while we take a step back, but in general has continued to I'm evolve. I'm a big, I think we take one step forward then two steps mm. back type, but I'm very big about trying to frame things in a historical perspective. You can't expect somebody, but even growing up myself, seeing like what parents, friends, or what we've lived through and seeing how things have advanced. Mm-hmm. You know, I remember, like, probably only a couple decades ago, I probably couldn't go some places with my friends. You know? Yeah, there's definitely a um, an exploration in the play uh, from a perspective, particularly in regards to the uh, women in the play, the female characters in the play, um, uh, that is expressed in a way that I'm sure it wouldn't be in the 1920s. Um, if you look at a TV show like The Alienist, I think that is a, a show that very much has the kind of feel and sensibility of of what we're looking at, which is, again, that's a little earlier in time period by a decade or so. But, I mean, just that concept of a show that's made, um, you know, in this past uh, decade that it illustrates... The 1920s, from a perspective that you wouldn't see it from before, you would see oh, it through the male perspective. Is there a male who's writing the I've script? I've forgotten the name of the, the aliens so many times. I've been wanting to mention it on the show, but I constantly then I have to look it up at home. Yeah, I thought the one guy looked like Ted Levine from Silence of the Lambs when he put the dress on in there a little bit. <laughs> I think probably the the closest example um, as it pertains to what we're doing as far as topic subject matter because it's Lovecraftian is the idea of the novel Lovecraft Country, uh, which um, was released with this intention. So that took the ideas of the mythos creatures and all of these concepts, these these wonderful worlds and ideas that Lovecraft had, and presented them uh, through the lens of African-American characters and the African-American experience. And then uh, that book was adapted into a TV show for That's HBO. What I've seen. And that show took things a step further. Um, because then, actually, it had a, a very diverse group of people working on the show, and they were better suited to and more directly chose to the concept of what they wanted to do with it to hit things even more politically and socially in regards to that. And so you saw the evolution of, 
you know, these ideas and works of H.P. Lovecraft and take it into a, a modern novel and explored through different eyes. And then you saw it taken and adapted into a TV show where people looked at it, uh, co- continued to explore issues in a way that you really couldn't, wouldn't have been able to do in previous generations. So hopefully that's what all art is doing, is it's there for us and it exists and then we absorb it and interpret it and put it back out into the world. Is anybody like, is anybody a fan of the word, like have you read a lot of it or not? Oh, for Lovecraft, I know I have I have not no. read a lot. Uh, basically a lot of it, basically I can describe most of it is somebody finds something horrific, it's like don't mess with what you don't understand. You go and you find there's all these beings in the universe and they're not gods, they're extraterrestrials. This is not a religious thing. This is more of a, yeah. more of a cosmos thing. Right. And you go insane or you have your head bit off. And you realize the world was just completely insignificant. We were a mistake by mm-hmm. the elder ones. Sort of like extreme nihilism in that way. I'm looking like at nothing one of you. really matters because, dear God, what is happening? Yes. I'm just picturing one of you has to wear the Cthulhu outfit. Cthulhu <laughs> 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 uh, itself does not make an appearance, but uh, that doesn't mean. You that wanted too much money. <laughs> <might> be, <laughs> yeah, one of the lesser known cosmic horrors uh, had to be signed to take on the role. So. Well, he's busy trying to wake up from LA to rule the world and kill us all. He's too busy for That's a lot of Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Plus, I mean, you guys, you got to think franchise. We can't. Yeah. yeah. Cthulhu you can can't show up with, there. That's, yeah. One of the funniest when I was a kid, I got this role playing tabletop game, Call of Cthulhu. Yeah. So my mom is trying to order it. So my brother goes, You should have been here. She's, <laughs> it's called, it's actually, it was called Arkham House. There's a big game. You bet Patrick could probably know about it. So my mom's trying to order C? <laughs> T? <laughs> <laughs> there are multiple board games, tabletop games. Yeah, now. Role playing game. Yeah, there's, and owned by more than one company because then there's like three or four different companies that have the, the rights to utilize uh, Cthulhu style elements for their work so yeah but yes back in uh, back in the call up on the telephone and order days yep. I can only imagine <laughs> and anybody out there if you have read Lovecraft you've seen his stuff because it's all mm. over the place mm. you can't miss it it's so influential that you can pick out random movies books yeah, it's definitely one of those parts uh, uh, of, uh, well, I mean, it's a, a pop culture element, I guess, to some extent now, but that's um, when something gets into the society, when people say, I've never read Shakespeare, and, you know, you've been exposed to a lot of Shakespeare without having any idea that you have, right? And so, um, you know, like saying, I don't listen to Michael Jackson. Like, well, you exist in the world, so you've listened to Michael Jackson. Well, you've heard a hundred songs that were influenced right. by Michael Jackson's sound. The Beatles. So, Right, like you, right, you've heard all of that stuff. So I think that that's what you're uh, kind of talking about is that it, it exists. Um, you don't have to be a, a right, um, uh, a uh, familiar directly with the material to have it be a part of. Watch any the 1990s like uh, <laughs> young person comedy, and it's a pretty much Shakespeare. Ten things I hate about you. Yeah, that they're all Shakespeare. Right. Well, right. I mean, he used every plot there was, so... The Lion King. There really aren't very yeah. many more. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... We are telling the same story over and over again. Speaking of that, can somebody please explain how Forbidden World is the Tempest? Because <laughs> okay, they always say it's, a, it's a telling of Shakespeare is the Tempest. And I'm like, I... Number one, I guess I don't know what that is. <laughs> I've never is read it. Is it on an it. island? How, Does it have, like, a... It, no, it's Forbidden Planet. It, it was, oh, I know, I... What, what is the 
deal. Okay, I mean, it's <laughs> the idea with the daughter on it, he comes in, there's the id monster. Oh, and that's part of it. Yeah. Know what it is. Okay. is that Caliban? Yeah, it's Caliban. And they um, come on, the guy's on an island, he would be Prospero, he left, Dr. Morbius left. Okay. I can show my Shakespeare knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Morbius left, so Please they land on the island, and he's protective of his daughter, Ariel. Okay. It's a great question, but I, I, I get paid relatively well to explain Shakespeare, so you're going to have to... <laughs> Come to one of my classes. Okay. <laughs> so basically, it is. It basically is the Tempest in space. Okay. Like Star Trek was wagon train in space. <laughs> That's how Gene Roddenberry pitched it. Wow. <laughs> To, to NBC. I, I think the pitch is always take something that's successful and popular yeah. and say, yeah. my show is like that, only uh, this. Yeah. Yeah, but that's. But you'll see it everywhere, though. But now we focused on the horror. Is there a bit of a detective stuff in this, too? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, honestly, like I said, going back to the beginning of the show, we talked about the scary elements of it. It's not intended to be like a. You know, there's no slasher thing, and it's not intended to be like this. Super spooky ghosts and ghouls. It's definitely more in the line of slowly uncovering the mystery. I think. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't, you know, maybe the Hob and Zelda uh, <laughs> certainly experience things. All of the characters, but Hob and Zelda experience things differently as they uncover that stuff. So I don't know. Yeah, I'd say most of it isn't horror. It's more just a bunch of people trying to figure something out and then unfortunately the answer is terrifying. Life is a horrific escape room, I guess is what it's <laughs> <laughs> oh, so it, it sounds like something too where you start with the perspective on the world, you know it's like this. By the end everything's been turned upside down and you have to deal with the reality. Right. Yeah, the reality exactly. is the real horror. Right. It's a carnival of randomness. It's a cookbook. <laughs> <laughs> That's true of all of the characters, but probably especially for Jed that we mentioned yeah. earlier because he's brought into something that he has no... You know, Zelda is a, an open-minded person who's seen the world in a variety of ways, and Hobbes is a studier of bizarre things. But Jed, is this is a whole new thing for him, so I guess he's the character that really kind of goes through the most struggle trying to figure out how is this even possible. He's sort of the one who thinks he knows how the world is, whereas he shows up and we're like, no, no, let us let us tell you what's going on. Yeah, he, he's he's got that thought of the why. Like, Hobbes thinking why, but he's thinking why, like, as in, how do I trace back all of this, right? Your kind of why exploration is different. Jed's is like, you know, why is something happening that I can't process in my brain? So. I think it's the idea, it's like from the Leonard Cohen song, we have to forget everything we know from Sisters mm. of Mercy. When, you, when you're younger, you think you know everything, and you're given a world view. And a lot of the next part of life, I think, if you grow, is you have to break it, and you have to look mm. at the world and see and live. And you might just think, why did I you know, think about that then? But I think we're all, we're all conservative, like small seed of ways we want to hold on to what we know, and we don't want to face the unknown. So that can be very traumatic for mm-hmm. people. Absolutely. Dude, you're deep. Wow. It's the Halloween episode. <laughs> <laughs> they're all, I mean, that's the one thing I've always been following them. Yeah, my, they're my friends, but I'm, ever, seriously, I'm, you want to see something, they do different things all the time. They do stuff that makes you think. Yeah. And I don't get the political relevance or, like, 
because I think I don't like to get on the loop with it. Because <laughs> I see, you know what? It's like the old saying about you'll be entertained, you'll laugh, you'll cry, you'll be scared mm-hmm. when one of you dresses as one of those monsters. But you might learn something. Right. <laughs> That's the goal. Yeah. Hopefully that that is um, beyond uh, the plot. Or uh, you know, which will hopefully be very exciting, and the light elements which will hopefully be very interesting, and all of that. I don't want the but, light elements; I want the scary stuff. <laughs> <laughs> but I think the idea is that, uh, uh, yeah, hopefully we're doing theater. I mean, DVC's uh, mission statement is to provide uh, meaningful theater, for, for which for us means theater that ex- explores social issues and 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 uh, makes for the people of Rochester in a way that is. Engaging and affordable, and uh, it allows us to have discussions about things well, that like, uh, people aren't comfortable having. Well, it's like the great about. sci-fi, like Doctor Who or like Star Trek, where it's a really good story, but in there is something. Yeah, there's always another layer that's. Then you'll get really some people like they, you they won't, you yourself. know, they don't see it. So what? <laughs> well, that's true. Certainly, people have different interpretations of what you present to them too. Yeah, we have some control over that as uh, artists, but I mean, only so much. Mm. And the thing to get you to actually sing in some of these things, huh. too, I'm amazed. <laughs> okay, there is, like, Terrifying. with almost all DVC shows, uh, this is not a musical by any means, but there is some live uh, performance in the show. We've tended to, for a while now, find a way to incorporate live music and vocals into uh, our productions, even ones that aren't musical-based, but... Uh, I regret to inform you that neither MJ nor Alexis will be singing in this production. You must be so okay. depressed. <laughs> I'm saddened by it. Let me tell you. <laughs> no, but that's cool. And I'd, like, I remember like when you did an Ionescu play, like Elephant would, I forget, Rhinoceros or not. I don't think you did Rhinoceros, did you? We did not. No, I can. I did Everything back. in this brain is up here. I get like the basics. <laughs> Just throw it all in a blender. Yeah. Yeah. So I remember, I because I've. I get out my like playbooks and I don't play bills, but and I don't even remember half of these. Like, oh yeah, that's the one where the lights went out. And I was confused <laughs> as all heck. Yeah, Greg, you would have loved this one What's where that? there's a thing when the lights are out for us, the time for them. Oh yeah, black <laughs> oh, comedy. Black comedy. Yeah, I both had the pleasure of being in that production as well. Yeah, that was fun. That yeah. was the first time anybody ever actually let me be funny. <laughs> I think you're playing Hobbit and Zelda with different names in this. No, 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 no. no. very different. Well, okay, no, of course, but Brinsley's running around trying to keep the world together, keep his world together. Is Hobbit really keeping anything together, or is he more so <laughs> just confusing and unbelievable? <laughs> Black Comedy was a lot of fun. That was actually the most. Uh, uh, that that was very different from any show that we've done before. That one was like it was an actual to, comedy. It was brought to me. Uh, I, I saw MJ in a production of it, and then I did some went something with it as uh, in the drama group at, at uh, Wilson High School where I teach, and then it ended up getting incorporated into a community theater where the actually that was Karen Tuccio's group. She came very to fun. us and yeah. said, technically not a DVC show, although we collaborated on it. And came to us and said, I need to put on a show. Uh, are you interested in doing this show? And we had discussions about it. And 
So we both of the Sav Sibs had uh, experience with the production previous, so we went okay, let's go for it. And uh, yeah, it's a, it is a fun show. That it's one trick, but it's a very exciting trick. Um, <laughs> Especially because you don't know as the audience, like, right? I walk in, oh, it's going to be a black comedy. Yay. Oh, what no, it just means it's complete darkness for the first five minutes. Right. And you're seeing the audience going, how come I can't see anything? But you can hear that there's stuff going on. Right. And then when the the power blows, the fuse blows, the lights come up on the stage, and everyone on the stage is then blind because of the darkness. And it, it goes back and forth Very throughout the show. It's cool. I like pretend that. Pretend you yeah. can't see yeah. it. Someone lights a match. Not die. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Someone lights a match, and the lights go down to half, like that kind uh. of thing. So, <laughs> so they spend a lot of time stumbling around pretending yeah. they can't see. But this is a general question, too, because actually, I mean, if you know me, I'm like blabby, like you know that, but otherwise, I'm quite shy. But. I, I could never do the stuff like I've said. I would play Goudot for you anytime mm. you want me to if you ever want to do that. But, like, for Greg, too, and you're not all, like, you're not super outgoing. I'm a complete introvert, yeah. actually. <laughs> yes. But what is really the draw of doing this? Is there just a rush of playing other people? Just a sense of creativity going on. They go, damn, that was good. Or, like, Greg just knowing how to, you know, hit a couple things hard. <laughs> <laughs> and for the kids, too, and I know a lot of them I met, they're very quiet outside of that and a lot of mostly artists i know they're all like musicians everybody else they're very humble very quiet what's the pull of this yeah. just to like fulfill your creativeness playing other people for me or? it's a draw towards like like i said earlier the idea of storytelling i've always been like a huge reader and sort of you study people and what they do and how they are and you try to understand people different from yourself and i think that acting is just like the ultimate form of trying to understand another person and tell their story and it's sort of like a huge empathy machine yeah, yeah like i was weird. thinking if i was the doctor i'd probably make two you two my companions tell the i said there's the monsters go at <laughs> <laughs> i used to tell it to my friends i said you know the way i make friends is i look at you you would be my companion if i was the doctor and they'd look at me like <laughs> Go away. You, are, you like Buffy, that's okay. <laughs> you are correct, Rob, that DVC has, from the time that I was primarily a, a high school group before it expanded into the community theater organization uh, that it is, it drew people that were not necessarily... Um, most of the people that brought into it were artsy type kids who were looking for some place to something to connect to and to find some world outside of what was available. And then as we started working with other people, um, we found that there's a whole collection of of uh, people of all ages that fall into this category, and so um, uh, I, that's definitely one of the things that I appreciate most about DBC is wh whatever you're going to consider a stereotypical theater artist person, whatever it is, um, DBC is an interesting and diverse collection in many ways of people that just want to I do I think we need art. that because I know, like, I like I was a bit of shock, I'll shock all of you. I wasn't, like, the prom queen or anything in high school. I wasn't that popular. But you find, you want the connection. Like, I would be, like, even these days, I would be walking my dog. If I saw somebody with, like, a local concert shirt, all of a sudden, hey, then we'd be thought, wait a second, don't we know each other? <laughs> or, like, somebody talking that. But when you meet fellow people, you realize you're not alone in this endeavor mm, yeah. and that's important and I remember like the big thing from high school I would always say is I would try to fit in but they never would try to like accept me for what I was and then you find other people and you realize okay everybody doesn't have this taste everybody isn't like this you know the sad part about like for my school is like if you were 
you know, if you were different at all, you had to sort of be quiet about it in yeah. those days, which is which is sick to me. But <laughs> it's well, you still have to. Truck, yeah. <laughs> well, I like Colin Baker's one. What's wrong with that? I'm not here. <laughs> Don't judge me. <laughs> well, there's that element of pretense though too that goes back to when you're a little kid. I mean, you could be sitting on your bicycle, and as far as you know, you're in an airplane. You know, flying through the air. Yeah. So I mean, I think a lot of that as you grow up, then you have social issues. You try, and then you can pretend and get that part of you. You know what I mean? It, it's part of that little little kid thing, and then with a grown up perspective. That's how I always looked at acting, yeah. kind of. Yeah, no, I agree. Imagination plays a large part in it in maintaining that um, elements that kind of get. Uh, I don't know, beaten out of you, pulled out of you as right. as you go through the the real life. Oh, get real, yeah. You're kidding yeah. me though. Now I look at all this comic book stuff, and I was like the so-called dork watching Star Trek, reading comic books. I could fav- and re- actually reading. Somebody actually said to me one time, "Oh, he's smart. He reads books." Yeah, right. I was outed the one time by a, by a friend's mom. Oh, I saw Rob at the library to books like my mom saw you with books <laughs> what an insult yes it was horrifying <laughs> <in the day. laughs> you know but that's it i think we're a lot we are more open-minded these <laughs> yeah. days i think somewhat i mean that some we might not think about it but yeah well and there's also a you know they talk a lot about this geek culture kind of thing i mean so I, I just I, going back to what you were talking I'm too about cool Rob. for that though not for geek i'm one of the music people oh. yeah, cool. okay. <laughs> i'm just saying you are correct in that like i have students bring their dungeons and dragons character forms with them to school and like have their 20-sided dies with them and that was not a thing that i would ever have shown to the world um and you know we when we're exploring elements in the show, uh, obviously, um, we talked about this idea of this social class being addressed and the idea of the, what people perceive the role of women in society to be and what queer society was at that time. This idea of uh, True and Zelda have this relationship um, that uh, certainly would be frowned upon. There, you know, there are a lot of aspects of that explored in the show. And so, yeah, you can look at it in a couple different ways. You can look at it from all the things that are happening in other parts of even this country, let alone the world, where, uh, you know, people are, there's an attack on, uh, LGBTQ plus rights and, and, uh, perceptions of how people view, um, other human beings living their lives. Mm. But then I can also look at my high school and go, well, I have kids who are openly gay in school, and people bring, you know, their a girl brings her girlfriend to the to the dance. Like, I mean, those aren't things that would have existed before. So I guess it depends on, uh, you can look, there's a wide range of uh, where we are in the world right now, I think. I don't know if this is off. I was about to say the phrase. I don't know if this is off topic on this podcast. <laughs> on this podcast, um, getting, yeah. can we talk about your uh, theatrical work at all in this show? Yeah. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> a little bit. Uh, so we all just saw a production of a show in Stratford. Um, that uh, we saw a production of Rent in Stratford. Um, very different, interesting Canadian perspective of life in America in 1990. But. Um, the short version of it, uh, there's been a lot of people, we've heard from several people around that work in that area that it's, there's been a lot of pushback, uh, from it. A lot of people went to see the show. This is a show that, um, was like, I, I guess I looked at it as being cutting edge, as most people did, you know, an entire generation ago when it was released. 
But I'm like, who's not familiar with Rent? Who has problems with two men dancing together or someone dressed... <laughs> Who has problems with someone dressing in drag? Uh, <laughs> or, or any elements of just this idea of these people trying to survive and going through addiction and all this other stuff. And apparently a lot of people, mostly older people, that are going to see the show with their open-minded... Older white people. With their open-minded <laughs> yeah. Canadian perspective. And I'm not saying that facetiously, honestly. I, you know, I, I'm... I'm very uh, pro Canada in many ideologies, many of their ideologies. Maple um, Leafs will never win the cup. So but, this, <laughs> but like to, to see that right now in 2023, uh, people are like, "Oh, that show's inappropriate," or "I don't want to see this," or whatever. I don't. I, I, that's mind-boggling to me. So yeah. there was actually I remember this was like decades ago. One of my friends worked at a certain library. Some mother came and irate. <laughs> I can't stop laughing. She got her. Daughter out a copy of, but I'm a cheerleader because she was oh, a cheerleader. Yeah. Oh, I was a cheerleader. Oh, okay. It's actually a topic. Just your thoughts briefly on this, and it's theatrical. My friends Ava and Tom of the Archive Ravens, they do Broadway songs. I'm talking to Ava afterwards about. You ever noticed they're all miserable every one of these musicals? And now the theory with them was, and Tom gave me. The, Okay, most songs you have three to five minutes, right? Right. You're building up so you care about a character for two hours with these songs, and then they they bite it really bad, so it's more than emotional. Mm. I think, but I also think I look at Eve and I go, you know, it's me, so don't take offense to this. But like Aida, you wonder when they were in. You were, they were buried. Which one of them ate the other one? But what she said to me was, I thought of the same thing. I choose my friends widely. <laughs> <laughs> do you think it's easier to do like more tragedy like that? Because you're investing in these characters. You don't have to give, don't give anything away. I'm excited away. about my actor's answer to this, actually. I, I think comedy is much harder, personally, yeah. because it's all about technique. Yes. You still have to care about the characters. If you're doing a good comedy, you still have to care, but you also have to do all of this comic timing and comic technique. Right. That is so, so incredibly difficult. Great comedians make it look super easy. It is so, so hard. It's not easy. It's a different skill set, right? It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's also, it's like, my, my, I'll shout out to Jeff Bauman, our good friend on here, but you get people like Jeff, he will tell a story, and the way he tells it, you start laughing. Right. And it's all about delivery. And part of it, too, I've learned from a professional comedian friend of mine, that when you go to do live comedy, the audience wants to laugh. Mm -hmm. That's in the two. But it's all about delivery, saying something. And especially, I think, in writing, because there'll be, like, few things I can point to, like Peter DeVries, some of his stuff. There's a couple parts of Don Quixote I actually laughed out loud about. But most, like, comedy writing, it's amusing, but... It's it's all about seeing it and even what David Ives it's all in the timing it literally is if you're off by like point three seconds you forget the beginning of a line you can ruin like the entire flow and in rehearsals that's the main thing as we try to get off book we're like okay don't break the timing don't break right. the timing and inevitably somebody does and you just go damn it <laughs> and this isn't like yeah. a sort of like uh the humor is not like a, a Jim Carrey style like something funny happens stop audience laughs kind of thing. It's more of a sort of Aaron Sorkin mm -hmm. kind of conversational flow. So probably you're listening to it and you're going, hey, that was amusing. Hey, that was amusing. Hopefully the whole scene is amusing. But there's no stop everybody laugh now moment. So that makes for an interesting uh, um, rehearsal process. Yeah, because you have to try to keep it going and sort of incorporate and build those moments 
without breaking the flow of the dialogue, which is nearly Well, there was one. I think it was actually more than this. It was very recent. There was something somebody said. Remember, Heather burst out laughing. (laughs) And I'm just looking at going... Well, I'm just going... I'm just looking at going... (laughs) (laughs) And that's true. I think different people find different things funny. Yeah. Just like different people react to uh, drama or tragedy Mm -hmm. in a show in a different way. Yeah. uh, In in a multitude of ways. I mean, it's like they bring their life experiences into (laughs) their artistic experience. Don't bring your perspective. Yeah, but that's what I've always said. Like for high school movies, like Days of Confused or Fast Times. What what did everybody ever say to me? So and so is from our high school. You know, we all bring our own experiences, but I think ours is supposed to be universal, so they. We all have our own experiences. I mean, that's why there's certain character archetypes and why you recognize so many different people in them. And I think that's a huge, really cool part of art is that you do bring your perspective and you're supposed to make those connections, I think. And that's what makes it worthwhile. It's like like Greg with drumming. It's more like the feel of it and everything than doing the... Right. Right, yeah. And at least drummers get are better represented now than they used to be. No, we still treat you like, you know. <laughs> you never got over that spinal tap issue. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the unnecessary exploding drummer. Yeah. 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 I don't know. I found like there's more bass players have the big problems than drummers. I don't know why. See, that's from coming from some, it's like having that idea of like somebody who knows like the biz and somebody who doesn't. Oh, it's all the drummers. No, it's bass players. Bass players are notoriously quiet, I think. They yeah. tend to be because they're background guys. Drummers a little more ostentatious, but I mean, bass players without them, you got nothing. Right. <laughs> you know, and the and they tend to be more reserved, not reserved, but understudy or whatever. You know, under expressed. They're yeah. steady, steady. I guess is right. a good word. But you know. but not to curse. If they need those, they'd be playing uh, plays guitar. like this, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> but not to put a curse. But has there ever ever been any of your plays though when you're on there that you have to really hold on for not busting up laughing? It happens to me in rehearsal several times every rehearsal. I don't even do. See, we were bad in college. Okay, like when our friends did Twelfth Night, we all got up in front. And being college students, we were trying. And I remember hearing after which you suck. There was a moment during more than this, our last show, where my character Aubrey and the character Jenny like finally get together and kiss. And one of the nights, somebody in the audience said, "Oh, get it!" And <laughs> I, I tried so hard to keep it together because the lights were about to go out, and I was like, "Don't do this! Don't do this!" But. I sort of cracked. It was really funny because the audience, honestly, half the time is what gets me going because they have such unexpected reactions. Like you, when you're on stage with another actor, can to an extent understand what they're going to do or anticipate even if they do something you don't expect that it's in character and react to it as a character. But the audience... You have no clue what they're going to do. It's the most terrifying part and of anything. Terrible. And they're terrible. Don't pay attention to God, the audience. Don't but think you, you're going to be funny. You can't. <laughs> Even if you try to tune <laughs> them out, every so often they crack through with like the weirdest thing, and you're just like, ah, I can't believe you just said that out loud. Well, I pay attention to you a lot just because I know my life's in danger. <laughs> <laughs> you never know what I'm going to do. Are you referring to the interactive elements of some DVC production? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it's fun. But it's always, it's always great. Anybody have any thoughts on Halloween this year? Because this has been a very scary episode with you. I'm going to be working, so no. <laughs> I'm actually going to. We have. That is scary. 
I'm going to Knott's for Rotter tomorrow. By the way, anybody... Oh, yeah, we're going to go to any, Oh, I'll, we'll be there. I'll see you ben and Katie Moria, dude. This is actually... Shout out. You want to really get ready for all the devils. Go out to see Knott's for Rotter at... Little tonight. My dear friends Ben and Katie Moria are doing live music for it. It's oh. a bargain at any price. Is that tonight it? or tomorrow? It's when the show airs. We're in a little time loop from Lovecraft, <laughs> so it's going to fall. But it'll be a really great time. So there Monday. Monday. Yeah. Night. And they so, do, yeah. That sounds awesome. We do have a run-through of the entire act, too, but I don't really have to be there anymore. <laughs> I mean, uh, I we, think they could do it without most of us. All the actors and a co-director will be present. <laughs> I think I'm good. That's two cheers for Mario, too. He was going to be in the peanut gallery, but he stepped up because he's the... Yeah. <laughs> and he said so many our, interesting things. Our, so many. Our Jed was supposed to be here today, which would have been equally, if not well, more fascinating. See, that's another thing. I love to support things that do well for the community. It's, I have no talent for this stuff except for being like polygraph of like weird esoterica. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I try to promote things and people are my friends but also I want to see positive stuff happen, things mm. that make things better. That's why I shout out to Ben and Katie because they do for like the submarine school. You know, anybody wants to send somebody for a music lesson, you will not be turned away. They cool. have a sliding scale mm. and they do really good work. Oh, nice. Nice. So, so I heard this weird Halloween thing that was like a news item actually. Of course the drummer has a Halloween. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's like there, there are some towns in California now. At least the homeowners associations are finding people if their decorations are too scary. Oh my god! Or, or they if, uh, if you, uh, it's like, oh, well, that that house scared me. I didn't want to go. It's like, okay, all of a sudden now the whole the very idea of it is not is not legal. The homeowner associations <laughs> I mean, to me, I don't like, know. It just they would be like what you would call like Karens now. Like they'd always yeah. be. In. And we had we had a haunted house down on a road by me. I guess somebody complained. It's once a year. So what happens by me is like by Holmes Road. Did somebody you know if you're around? You're in Greece. Go by Holmes Road. You see the big place decked out. They have a haunted house every year. It draws everybody away. So, like, I would be walking and I always bring candy and I always tell the parents and the kids, I live over here. You know me? Because that's all I need is, like, hey, you want some candy? <laughs> and I think about that, though, even though they know me. It's like some guy walking up coming yeah. candy. So I always say, no, you know me. I live right there. I'm going to see the haunted house. Here's some candy. You can't even enjoy a good pagan holiday anymore. <laughs> I just don't get no, we get, like, for real, though, we get, like, always, like, by the school that we get weirder there, so I'm like extra about yeah. you know I keep an eye out and everything because we have gotten I mean, which is sad and everything but this haunted house is fun it's packed and I love it because they all have fun there and it keeps the neighborhood quiet so I can just watch my monster movies <laughs> I try to figure out where people put all this stuff that they have in their lawn but it's this like, is a hearse club because we had them on the show. <laughs> yeah. I probably went decoration shopping in my grandmother's attic, yeah. and let me tell you, that's where it all goes. Uh, I guess, yeah. <laughs> but does anybody have, like, sort of a favorite film? I never want the one fit because no, I hate that question. Did you really try to watch this time of year? Sound of music for me, it's scary. <laughs> <laughs> Mad Love with Peter Lorre. But actually, I'll, I'll plug out. I actually liked Rob Zombie's The Monsters. I mean, people give me hate for this. Mm. It's like a cartoon. What do you expect from The Monsters? High art. You know? I like Rob Zombie stuff, actually. <laughs> I like his tunes also. But I've been watching, like, my favorite, like, lesbian vampire movies, like Nadja and all those. Oh, yeah, sure. and the original, let the right one. Oh, my gosh. So Which, good. Which, okay, is that supposed to be a sad ending, though? Because he, she sort of had him set up, take over, and he's going to get old. Or, I don't know. Like, being bodyguard for a vampire for me would be fun. 
It's hard Field to know, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I watched Tower of London last night, Roger Corman with Vincent Price. That was really cool. I had never seen it. I mean, I record all these movies and I never watch them. So <laughs> yeah. it's like, and and he played like, you know, he's deformed. He's Richard, the whatever his name was. And he's like got a hump, hunchback oh, yeah. and all this stuff. And he's like just killing everybody left and right so he can be king. And it's just like, he was really malevolent. I mean, he was a different Vincent Price than... You know, the mustache. And for me, one goes to hunger all the time. The hunger. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Especially with yeah. Bauhaus in it, there right. was like a time in my thinking. Catherine can do. She can anytime she wants. There's a stage production of Let the Right One In. Uh, Next on BBC's Doctor. No, I'm just. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> he needed a giant tank of water, so I don't know that that's going to happen. <laughs> now somebody's got to be really good if they do the scene with the hockey stick not to plug somebody either. I, <laughs> but it's always great having you. This could be actually might go to this twice. Yay. That would be great. We have happy That would be really nice. Two weekends. Yes. Uh, well, it's, it's not a, it's a funny story I'll leave for whatever. But it'll be a different experience uh, each time. I like that because, I mean, sure. when I worked theater. on, you know, the good old Closer, mm-hmm. seeing it every night right. was, like, awesome. And I saw Edge enough times. Right. I mean, you could see a production that runs, you know, six to eight times a week for months and experience it and think, wow, that was different than the one that I saw before. Exactly. But especially when you're doing a show in a community theater situation where uh, you're opening and you have, you know, anywhere we've, we've done productions where we've had three shows, right? This is six, right? But even then, like... Um, Everyone is <laughs> exciting, <laughs> and we, you know, it, it's um, a unique experience. And then time, next year, so. couple plays again, couple works. I just use generic word plays, but I know it's going to be musical. We will have later. shows again in July, November next year. We should be announcing our next season soon. Yeah, stay tuned. <laughs> Go to this; it's going to be lots of fun. You might be scared. You might laugh. You might. One of you is going to come out of Cthulhu soon. I know <laughs> you're holding. You're it spoiling it. Yeah. <laughs> now I'll be going. That's like no, this is supposed to be this one. This is supposed to be this one. Amigo here. This is everything. And Greg, you doing anything? I'm working today. <laughs> okay, now you want to see Greg and ask him to play something when he's working. Go down, but no. I. But this has been great, and I'm looking forward to it. And happy Halloween! I'm actually going to be a light Halloween for me too. And yeah. I actually have a perfect song, uh, cool. Hannah Wicklin, who I really like. I met her; she's really cool, brilliant talent. How can I not pick a song called Ghost? Perfect. <laughs> But I think you really like it. But thanks a lot, everybody, for coming down. And awesome. Thanks for having us. Yeah.